Welcome to Hertel. It is a Tuesday. Do you feel that coming? That's spring. That's warmer weather. That's political season. A lot of things going on out in the world. We're going to try to turn down the noise of the news cycle and talk about quite a few of them today. I'm Andrew Donson. Thank you so much for joining us on Hertel for this March the 29th year of our Lord 2022. We're excited about it inciting stuff to cover today. Uh, we're going to go over to the Ukraine, a story of the human will, uh, people playing music in the subway. They took a whole music festival underground. That's our end of the show. Good, feel good, human interest story that we always cover. Uh, Mo Brooks v. Donald Trump, we covered him on the show. Our friend and frequent guest on this program, Michael Siegel from Ordinary-Times.com, has some really nice writing on it, very funny writing, very insightful writing. We're going to cover that. And the uh, downfall of Mo Brooks, the never was of Mo Brooks, senatorial candidate in the great state of Alabama down there. Uh, Also going to talk about uh, Kathy McMorris-Rogers, representative from Washington from the Republican Party. She wants to have hearings about why Gitter and Parler and True Social aren't doing well in the marketplace. I'm going to save you that whole hearing because I'm going to explain it to you in less than three minutes. Representative Rogers, feel free to listen in on that and not waste taxpayers' time and money on that nonsense. Uh, Also, great guest today, Luis Mendez. I've actually wanted to have him on the program for a while since we started doing The Daily Show. hadn't had a chance to. He covers movies. He covers culture and movies. He's been writing at Ordinary-Times.com with us for a long time, has a great sub stack, had a great night at the Oscars. He went 21 for 23 on his Oscar predictions. That's pretty good. You can make some money in Vegas that way, my friend. Uh, but of course, what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock and the slap heard around the movie world, that happened. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the Oscars themselves and talk about actual some of the movies, which he wants to get to, which the Will Smith thing is overshadowing. Luis Mendez on the program today. Great guest. But first, let's start back over in Ukraine and Russia. Now, Russia is we know the propaganda situation. We know Vladimir Putin being the bloodthirsty thug he is. He kills journalists. He kills dissidents. He imprisons dissidents. He doesn't like dissidents. So it's important for us while we have focused on the bravery of the Ukrainian people, and we're going to do that in the last segment again today, there's also people in Russia who are showing a lot of bravery and a lot of guts and grits and brawn by protesting this war, despite a very, very high cost it could cost them. Now, Russia just passed a law that you can serve 15 years in prison for demonstrating against the war, for just uttering the word war because they're calling it a special operations. It's not a war. How dare you say it's a war? Uh, It's a war of aggression. It's a war crime. And they're racking up the war crimes day by day. Vladimir Putin came out uh, and said through his representatives, they really didn't appreciate being called a butcher by the president of the United States. I disagree with Joe Biden on a whole lot of things. I'm completely with my president on this. He's right. Vladimir Putin, you are a butcher. And if you any of your henchmen don't like that, you can sit and spin, quit killing people. Then you wouldn't be a butcher. Nevertheless, there are people in Russia who are bravely protesting. Let's go to the BBC.com uh, headline war in Ukraine. Anti-war war Russians intimidated on their doorsteps. We've talked about protests a lot the last couple of years in America. The protests these people are doing are singularly brave. 
They can lose their lives. They can lose their livelihood. Their families can be disappeared. This is some brave stuff. Let's go to this part of the story. When Daria Krikinen, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing these names. I apologize um, because these people are just brave. But Daria looked through the peephole of the door of her St. Petersburg apartment. She noticed it had been painted red on the outside. Quick side note here. St. Petersburg has seen a lot of protests. Remember, that's the far eastern edge of Russia's control. It's practically in Europe, one of the great cities in Europe. They're not Moscow. Moscow, they got locked down pretty tight. St. Petersburg seen massive protests if you know where to look for them. She guessed straight away, back to the BBC, what had happened. There had been similar instances with other activists. She opened the door to find the world traitor scrawled in large red letters across the outside. Several pieces of paper written with messages such as a traitor to the motherland lives here, pinned to her home, and a pile of manure on the mat at her feet. Quote, the door was covered in green dye and there was spray foam in the lock. There were signs that said, quote, we will not forgive Nazism and, quote, a Finnish Nazi lives here. Let's pause here real quick. Uh, Russians talking about the Finns. Remember, the Finns fought the Russians to a standstill just prior in the early part of World War II. A lot of bad blood there propaganda wise, because that's something that sticks in the Russian legendary crawl. The fact that they couldn't beat the Finns. So that's a double insult. Plus, we know the nonsense that they're going to denazify the Ukraine, despite the massive population of Jews in Ukraine, the highest Jewish population in the Europe. And also President Zelensky himself is an ethnic Jew. So keep all that in mind that this Nazism is nonsense propaganda. Um, Ms. Kirkinen doesn't know who was responsible for the attack, but said as far as she knows, the only people who have her address are her parents and the police. I can't say that it scared me. Actually, I find it amusing. This is courage, folks. Imagine some idiot dragging a bag of manure up the stairs to the 11th floor, no elevator, and doing it two nights in a row, and she laughed. Folks, there's legends among us. I ask you in America, in our current social media environment, if this, the folks that scream endlessly about cancel culture when they get the least little bit of pushback online and a little bit of public shaming, if this kind of thing was happening to them on their doorsteps, the reaction it's very important that when we talk about Russia's aggression in Ukraine, I use that term already on this program, we're talking about the government of Russia as it stands. It's really an oligarch, gangster-ran, criminal enterprise with the trappings of a state led by Vladimir Putin. We should always remember the Russian people are not one and the same, despite what Vladimir Putin says they are, because that's how a dictator keeps power. There's good people in Russia. There's brave people in Russia, and they're standing up. And they're doing it at a high cost to say that this is wrong. And we should always remember them, even as we praise the Ukrainian people. There's still good folks in Russia. And someday we hope they have a country worthy of their bravery and integrity. More Hertel right after this. Ah, welcome back to Hertel. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for joining us. Congress, you know my opinion of them is low. We call them Congress critters for a reason. We call it Kabuki failure theater for reasons. Here's some more of it. A tidbit from Punchbowl News. By the way, if you're not signed up for their morning newsletter, they cover Congress as well as anyone. Uh, highly recommend the morning newsletter part of their website. It's free. Get it every morning. We draw from it frequently. Go check that out. But one nugget from them. In fact, they started out with one more nugget for you. Uh, Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers, this is from Punchbowl News, uh, Republican, state of Washington. The top Republican on the Energy and Commerce Committee told us at the GOP retreat in Florida last week 
that if Republicans take the majority, her committee will invite the executives from the social media platforms like Gitter, Parler, and True Social to testify about, and this is in quotes, challenges they face, end quote, in getting traction in the marketplace. Representative Rogers, this is a colossal waste of your time, my time, the American people's time and money, and you know it. In case you don't know it, let me explain it to you like you're five. Uh, they have trouble getting into the marketplace, not because of some conspiracy theory. They're not having trouble getting into the marketplace because they're being censored or canceled. They're not having trouble getting into the marketplace because of some vast left-wing conspiracy. They're having trouble getting into the marketplace because there's no marketplace for them and they suck. I'm not saying that just to be mean and say they suck. I mean, they technically suck. When you put together a social media platform, it has to function. It has to work. True social, we found out, and we have already covered previously on this program, isn't halfway well built as the standard WordPress page. Now, if you're not familiar with doing stuff on the internet, WordPress is something I've used when I built my own website. I did that in WordPress. I didn't know anything. I did it off friends helping me and YouTube tutorial videos. If you're going to start the next Twitter, though, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook have armies of engineers because it's technically hard to run a social media platform. It's one of the hardest things you do online from a back-end point of view. And true social, it's very apparent, never put that work in. That's why they got that big waiting list. Parler got took down several times, and don't wave Amazon deplatforming them. We've already covered. I've wrote about it in Ordinary Dash Times. You can go read it. They were warned for months that they didn't have control over their platform and they would lose their hosting if they didn't do something about it. And they didn't. And they waved their finger in the face of the people hosting them. And a major corporation is not going to fool with that nonsense and said, no, thank you. Now, Gitter's done a little bit better. They actually seem to function. But again, here's your problem with all of these alternate MAGA-friendly, Trump-friendly social media platforms. They lose the one thing that all those folks really, really get on social media to do, fight with people that disagree with them. And when they get in their echo chambers, there's nobody to fight with. They don't get any validation anymore. And it gets really boring just hearing everybody say the same things you're saying, because you can only one-up each other so much in your love of Donald J. Trump and the MAGA agenda. It's never going to work in the marketplace because you're splitting up an already very small market. And the market doesn't really want this product. They don't really want an alternate venue. They just want more power in the venue they have. They can't get it. So periodically they run over there and then they come right back. It's never going to work because those people need the people that disagree with them, that hate on them, the haters, all those evil libs. They can't function online without them because they need the validation of the fight. So no, Representative Rogers, there's not an equal problem here. This is a waste of congressional time and effort. I'm sure you'll get good fundraising out of it, and some of your members will. But shame of you for wasting our time on something like this. We used to believe in the free market in the Republican Party, but you want to pick winners and losers, even when these sites are struggling in the marketplace, because they are just that. Losers. More heard tell right after this. Ah, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, here's a topic we don't cover very often. Movies, Oscars, awards night, and of course, culture 
just slammed right into both of those. So we're going to go to our movie guy, longtime contributor to Ordinary-Times.com. He has his own sub stack, the Mendez Movie Report, that you need to go to subscribe to right now because my man went 21 of 23 on his Oscar predictions. He knows what's going on. I lean on him to explain these things to me like I'm five. We're going to go to him right now from sunny South Florida, our buddy Louis Mendez. How are you, sir? Thanks for some time this morning. I'm doing great. Uh, I've got a lot of energy considering I didn't get much sleep because I spent the basically the entire night just listening to a bunch of Oscar reactions and about how nuts last night ended up being. Yeah. And before we get into the specifics of it, because everybody knows the big ticket item here, you made the comment on Twitter and you can explain to me because you follow this stuff more than I do. I normally just ignore all award shows, not just the Oscars. I just don't like award shows. I don't like the Grammys. I don't like anything else. You you made this comment, so you explained it to me. You said this is the most discussion by non-movie people over an Oscar ceremony that you've ever seen. Oh, I, I mean, you know, it used to be that the Oscars was, they got ratings that were like the Super Bowl. It, it really used to be that kind of event. Over the last couple decades and really the last couple of years, um, the viewership's just been going down. There hasn't been much interest. There's been more and more of a disconnect on what people are watching compared to what the Oscars want to award. Um, and as someone who uh, just enjoys a lot of, I have a very eclectic taste in movies. I'm the kind of guy who can enjoy superhero popcorn flick and an art house film. And I kind of always see that kind of dichotomy and, and how it, clashes with each other on that a lot of my friends that I talk to that aren't big film people, they do not uh, really follow the Oscars that much because they feel like they haven't seen any of the movies. But what's happening because of what happened last night with Will Smith and Chris Rock is that it's become this big cultural thing where everybody at the water cooler is talking about the fact that a millionaire decided to get up and swing at another millionaire in the middle of the Super Bowl of award shows. And that's kind of, it's, it's led to this thing where the Academy is seeing the most interest that I have seen on a post-Oscar morning, so probably since maybe Lord of the Rings won Best Picture, and it's not for the reasons that they want it to be. Yeah. Let's do some background real quick, though, because I know with Will Smith, him and his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, they've been really, really public about some very, very private things in their relationship over, I guess, about especially the last year or so. They've been really, of course, she's got the Red Table Talk where she's very open about a lot of issues. They did a big interview about, I guess, about nine, 10 months ago that got a whole lot of coverage. So, they, you know, these things don't happen in a vacuum. They've been very public about their stuff. Uh, their son, Jaden's obviously done some movies and stuff. They've, they've discussed some of his things very publicly these are very high profile people anyway and they've had their very personal stuff kind of out there for the last year or so in the run-up to this and then the other part of it that you can speak to as a movie person is there's a really interesting path that will smith took to getting his oscar a lot of the you know dicaprio got his a couple of years ago and it was one of those like okay which movie is he eventually going to get his oscar we know the meryl streep thing there's usually a path to these things and the path for Will Smith was always he he avoids the controversial roles or he he would avoid the roles that would normally get you an Oscar. And he got it for this one. Just talk about those two things, because I don't think you can talk about, you know, the emotional explosion without the background of who Will Smith has been for the last year in the tabloids 
in the last 20 years as a movie star, can you? No. And, and the thing is, is that Will, uh, he's this is only his uh, third nomination, uh, but it's just felt so overdue because he's arguably been one of those one of our last big movie stars to do this just is a box office grocer. Uh, and for a lot of people my age growing up, he was the the face of Hollywood for a moment there. Uh, and, but the thing is, is that he has he's he's never I never felt like he was a butt kisser. He was never he didn't really play too much of those political games, but he did try to COVID, uh he did try to create this image for himself as the clean family guy who was going to do uh, nice, warm movies. Now, his first nomination was for Ali, which was a serious biopic. But his other nomination was Pursuit of Happiness, which is a very simple um, biopic, but it's a, a it's a heartwarming movie. And that's traditionally been the kind of movies that he goes to. I, he's, he's not the kind of guy you're going to find in the Tarantino movie. He's not going to he's not that guy. So when he when the King Richard trailer came out, a lot of us were like, well, this really could be his path to an Oscar. And that's what ended up happening. And throughout this entire campaign, he has been portraying himself as the family man uh, on top of the overdue narrative. Of course, he's going to be the family man who you want to see win. Who you? It's it, maybe it's not the greatest performance out of the nominees, but he's overdue and he's such a he's such a nice guy. Let's finally give him an Oscar. But in the middle of that, he's been having these little slip up moments where a lot of his pro, uh, private life is getting out, and people are seeing some stuff that is kind of weird for a lot of folks. So they're kind of getting, they're a little judgmental or they're like, wow, that's, that's some hardcore stuff that I didn't think Will Smith was going through. So on, so I wonder if a lot of that emotion just kind of spilled out last night in the middle of what was going to be his big moment. Uh, because we all know about him and Jada and supposedly Rock and Jada have a history themselves. Uh, and I wonder if it, that have more to do with it than just this one joke. Yeah, it talking to Luis Mendez, there there's two things. Everybody knows what happened. Everybody's seen the viral clip now of Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. I do think it was real because Chris Rock would have had a line ready if it was fake. Uh, I've watched a lot of Chris Rock over the last 20 years that I've never seen him react like that. I, I think it was real. I also saw Will Smith I you could see his I don't want to psychoanalyze I really don't because the the man's he's been very open about his own personal issues and I've got my personal issues so I'm I'm not judging him at all I'm just judging his behavior that's all I've got to go on you know I saw him you know laugh at the joke I saw him look at his wife I saw his demeanor change and then I saw what he did like everybody else did I've got those two pieces of information that tell me that this was a real thing and then something you highlighted on your Twitter feed that I didn't know because I didn't watch this. I saw all this later on when I, I got up to do the radio show. It's got to be in early morning, so I'm usually up middle of the night. There was a moment, Denzel Washington and Tyler Perry, universally recognized as two of the just really good dudes in, in Hollywood, have him off to the side of the stage. Literally, Denzel's got his arm around him, and Tyler's a huge – people don't realize how big Tyler Perry is. He's just towering over both of them, almost like he's shielding – He's literally standing there like he's shielding them from everybody else. There was that moment off to the side. And that's when it kind of hit me of, okay, this there's a lot going on here beyond what's going to be the viral moment that lives forever. Did, and you put it on your Twitter feed, and that's how I saw it. How did that moment strike you? 
Well, I mean, I thought it was real from the get-go because something just wasn't right. Um, if you were watching the American feed, they definitely were trying to cover something up. But unfortunately for them, the foreign feeds did not get to cover that up, and it got it went that went viral. Uh, and then there was the scenes from the journalists that were inside the theater where you could tell that Denzel and Tyler Perry were trying to kind of give him some advice, trying to cool him down. Uh, on, and you're right. I, uh, you could tell by Chris Rock's reaction. This was not planned. Uh, he, he, I've never seen Chris Rock that um, during the headlights. And I don't blame. And honestly, I think a lot of people aren't talking about the fact that you could argue that he handled that kind of like a pro. Dude didn't take a step back either. Let's just let's acknowledge that too. I mean, he 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 leaned. If you ever watch boxing, he did the lean down and pop up, but he didn't take a step back either. So that's pretty tough when you're live on TV and then he went right back to the bit. That's yeah. And, know, and, the thi- and the thing is, what happens if he decides if he has that fight or flight reaction and he decides that he's going to swing back? Then it becomes an even bigger mess for the Academy and it becomes even more awkward to continue the show. It becomes even more awkward when Will's got to go up there and accept best actor. But I think I had heard that this wasn't caught on camera that even I think even Bradley Cooper went over there to talk to Smith like this was very clearly something that shook up the room. And honestly, uh, watching the show. After that happened, the entire vibe of the show just felt surreal. It just it just really overshadowed the entire show. Yeah, talking to Luis Mendez about the Oscar ceremony and what happened. Uh, before we put the Will Smith thing to go to bed and talk about what you really want to talk about, which is the actual movies of the Oscar, where does this go? I don't think they're going to strip the Oscar. They're not going to do something crazy like that. Obviously, the Academy is going to have to do something here, though. But like you said... This was supposed to be, um, since he was involved here, this is a, this was supposed to be like the Denzel Washington moment. Remember him and Sidney Poitier a few years ago, or well, yeah. God, 20 years ago now with training day. We're getting old, man. That was 20 years ago. But they, they were supposed to be that kind of a moment of a guy really getting his due, and they were going to have this big thing. This is all that's ever going to be remembered. You were joking about it on Twitter. You've, you've already done it in your writing. You're like, the, the, the Academy Awards where Chris Rock got slapped. I mean, that's what this is always going to be now. What does the Academy do? And what does Will Smith do? Because he's an established star, but his narrative's kind of been a little off the rails over the last year, like we talked about. This is sure not going to help that. Where does he go from there? Where does the Academy go from here? I think Chris Rock will be okay because he's got that mentality, you know, I think he's going to come out of this probably looking the best out of all of them. But where do those two people go? Well, I mean, I, well, Chris is fine because he he was the one who was swung at. Um, and I think he's it's already gotten out that he's not going to do anything dramatic like press charges or anything like that. So I think he's going to be fine. But uh, the Academy, this, they, this is one of the last things they needed. They've already got this issue with ratings going down year after year. They've got people who don't. They, they know that the regular moviegoer is not connecting to the movies they're awarding. The hardcore film fans are mad at them because they don't think that they nominate and give awards to enough highbrow films. And then on top of that, you have this after the debacle that happened last year where they tried to do this big Chadwick Boseman celebration at the end of last year's show and he didn't end up winning then you have this happen with the best actor category the year after. The Academy's not happy right now about this stuff. On top of that, regarding what's going to happen to Will, 
I don't think it's going to be anything dramatic where there's nobody to talk about old take his statue away or anything like that. But I do think there is a very real possibility that at best, at best, they just ask him not to attend next year's ceremony when traditionally he would be um, awarding best actress next year. But at worst, in terms of plausible outcomes, I can see a situation where maybe they kick him out of the academy. Um, but at, even that to me might feel a little extreme because the academy does have a lot of problematic winners of the past and things that have not really looked well for them. So I I, I don't think it's going to be anything dramatic, but I think there's going to have to be something done um, uh, where Will just maybe doesn't get the attend. And on top of that, this might affect his career in terms of uh, Oscar caliber roles, or maybe if he does have another Oscar caliber role, because he does have a movie coming up from Apple that may be an Oscar contender where he plays some kind of, uh, it's, it's some kind of runaway slave drama. Um, if that ends up being a role that people are like, wow, this is an Oscar caliber role, they, the Academy members might not nominate him because they don't like the way he reacted last night yeah lewis mendez and uh we're gonna take a quick break we're gonna come back more with lewis mendez we're gonna actually talk about some movies which i know he's itching to get to do uh more with our buddy movie file cinephile lewis mendez on her tell right after this Ah, welcome back to her tell we're talking about the oscar fallout uh, we've talked about the Will Smith thing. Okay, the problematic character and kind of the star going into this Oscars, the big controversy before Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, though, was the power of the dog and Jane Campion. She had made some very controversial comments. She picked a fight with Sam Elliott, who everybody that's not an art house picture lover probably loves a whole lot more than her. And then she wins Best Director. That's That's quite the little saga in about a three-month period of time, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I really do think that that controversy may have been one of the perfect recipes that led to Power the Dog. Uh, really, honestly, the, the only way to say is it's choking at the end of the line after it had dominated award season as much as it did. Um, yeah, Campion is one of those that if you're a real film person, you've been waiting for her to finally have a direction, uh, best director win. Uh, but if you're not really much of a film person, she's the kind of person that uh, I, I remember when uh, she did an interview or earlier during the season where she kind of took a shot of superhero movies. And I had a friend of mine who's like, who, who is this Jane Campion? Who is this? Now, to a lot of film people, that's like, well, who is Jane Campion? Um, how can you say that? That's Jane Campion. Everybody knows Jane Campion, one of the revolutionary female directors. But if you're not a movie person... You, the only thing you know about Jane Kemp is that she, she's taking shots at superhero movies. She got into a fight with Sam Elliott. And I actually agree with her in, over Sam Elliott. But it became this thing that really built up during awards season where they were asking people from Power of the Dog about the Sam Elliott comments at every red carpet event. And then... On top of that, she had that gaffe at the Critics' Choice Awards where it sounded like she was trying to put herself over the Williams sisters. And even though I understood what she was trying to say, that did not play well. And I remember watching that live and thinking, am I the only one that feels like that, that might not have come off well? And then, of course, the next day it blew up. Now, she still won Best Director because, honestly, I think she just her lead was just so insurmountable 
at that point. But honestly, and unfortunately, they will never let us see the actual ballot numbers, which I've I and a lot of others have always found annoying because we would love to see how tight the race was or wasn't. I would not be surprised if it was closer than people thought. And because there seemed to be at the end there uh, a kind of a search for Kenneth Branagh in director because of the comments that were made. And if you read some of these anonymous Oscar ballots, her comments definitely rub people the wrong way. Is it too simple? Because I'm, you know, I've watched it. I'm, I'm not the cinephile you are, but I do keep up with it. Even if I don't watch a movie, I usually read up on a big movie like Power of the Dog, at least be aware of it. Man, if you were just wanted to do go back to what the first thing you ever said about the Oscars in this conversation about there's that disconnect, this Campion thing, if you were going to do a microcosm of it, this this is almost like its own little mini movie of all the problems with the Academy just kind of distilled into one little thing, isn't it? You have this real great art house director that they all love. Nobody else knows who she is. And then she makes public comments that are, let's be generous and just call them tone deaf. Although I think there may have been some little more malice there than that. It's that she just kind of embodies the whole disconnected problem that the Academy's got right now, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And, and the thing is that if you look at who she was up against, uh, with the with the exception of Ryusuke Hamaguchi, who, he, you know, Japanese director who just had a movie that completely blew up and became a big award starling. You had Steven Spielberg. Uh, everyone knows Steven Spielberg. Everybody knows Kenneth Branagh. Branagh's director genre films. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Now, Paul Thomas Anderson... He doesn't direct like genre movies, but he's a very he's still a well-known director, even among casuals. So among to have that director race come down to Campion, if you're not a film person, you're all you know is that this is the woman who has these controversies that ended up happening. And they ended up happening honestly towards the final stretch of the race. This, I, I, I keep saying this on net on Twitter. Netflix is cursed. Every single time they have a top contender like this, they always seem to be tripping as they're getting to the final stretch. And on top of that, the movie she directed is a movie that, hey, look, I love the movie personally. It was my number 10 from last year. But the fact is that one of the reasons the movie didn't end up winning Best Picture is that it's a movie that is very hard for the casual person to get into. It's slow pace. It's a slow burn. It's you don't really know what it's about to the very end. Uh, it's 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 got horrible audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes, which I always tell people when you get to these industry awards, you want to keep an eye on the Rotten Tomato score for audiences, because this is not critics who are voting. These are the industry voters who are audience members themselves. And I kept saying all year, even though ultimately I ended up predicting Power of the Dog for Best Picture, one of only two, th- one of only two things I got wrong. It's a weak front runner because it's not the kind of movie that's going to win on a preferential ballot. And, can- and it's just the only reason Campion won, in my opinion, is because, first of all, because she did a great job, but second of all, because she had such an insurmountable lead. I truly believe that had the Oscar season kept going on, even she would have been in trouble like the rest of the movie. It's it's such a weird, the way they do it. Let me just ask you the question then, with Netflix and Amazon and Apple's now, Apple's been very blunt, like we won an Academy Award. You have these disruptors, 
But when you go outside the system, isn't this part of the system, though? It's like, hey, these are the people that are going outside the system to do it. And then you're trying to get the ultimate inside the system award. This is what's going to happen. And then, I mean, just for a layperson like me who doesn't understand all the ins and outs, I don't know how the ballot works, but I understand how power structures work, <laughs> you know, and I understand when you're going to be the disruptors, though, sometimes you get people that didn't work within the system for whatever reason. You get people with grudges within the system. And sometimes you get folks that didn't play well with others in the system and the system's going to fight back a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and on top of that, the thing is that last night we saw history, the first ever streaming service to win best picture. Now here's the thing. I remember a couple of years back when Netflix was trying to get into the Oscar game I remember there was so much hate towards Netflix within the industry. This is not cinema. This is not this is not how you should win what you should award Oscars to. Uh, and but slowly but surely, Netflix got in there because what Netflix did is they said, we're actually going to get uh, our tours to come in and do movies for us. We're going to buy up movies from film festivals and we're going to be legitimate contenders. And it got to the point where. They just couldn't ignore it any longer because these when you get to the point where you have our respected directors like Scorsese doing movies for them, you just can't ignore Netflix anymore. And what's happened is that Netflix has been getting there and getting there and they wanted that best picture. They want that best picture win so bad. They wanted to make history as the first streamer. And then Apple comes in as a multi-billion dollar monster and says, no, we're going to come in we're going to start competing for oscars and before you know it it's not netflix who breaks the who makes history as the first streamer it's apple and one of the things that I, um i saw from industry insiders is people are not counting in the fact that apple came in with a multi-billion dollar campaign i, I, I like people don't some, um, people don't fully grasp how much money these studios put into this awards campaign. At least when politicians spend a ridiculous amount of money on their campaigns, they're trying to get elected into office. These are studios putting up millions of dollars for what is, at the end of the day, just clout. And what happens is that Apple is a multi-billion dollar company getting into this game. And I think you got to keep an eye on them now because a lot of people now, are, they're not watching movies like they used to. They're watching them on streaming services more. They're not going to the theater as much. The, the, what's successful at the theaters are the big genre films. So these are tours are going to go to the streaming services to get their movies done and not have to worry about box office. So what ends up happening is that I think you're going to be seeing the streaming services become the new sort of giants. Um, in the awards game, because it's it's much easier to campaign a movie that you could just go on your TV and watch compared to a movie that you're trying to get through the film festivals, the theatrical window and all that stuff. So but the industry might still have a bit of a Netflix bias. They might. And, and when they see Apple coming out with this cute little movie that warms your heart, it's much easier to go for that once they think once they kind of start churning on a movie, once they decide, well, you know what? It's not Netflix's year uh, this year. Uh, so it's a weird dichotomy because on one hand, you have an industry that's fighting Netflix, 
But at the on the other, you have an industry that says, well, we're not going to give you best picture. We're going to give it to this streaming service. But that streaming service is a multi-billion dollar company that knows how, uh, how to campaign. Yeah. And as always, it's it's just the, the money's getting so out of control, for lack of a better word, even by Hollywood standards. I just don't know how you I don't think you're going to get that horse back in that barn anytime soon. Luis Mendez, let's finish with this, though. Uh, there's been a lot of cry for structural change at the Academy Awards. If nothing else, maybe the seating chart needs to change where you can't just stroll on stage and slap somebody. Do you see they they went with the three hosts? There's always the debate over the host. There's always the debate over the format. There was a lot of chatter this year about certain categories getting cut from the TV. And do you think after all this, there's going to be some real changes format wise and or behind the scenes structural wise to the Academy for next year's awards? I, I honestly think the Academy is still trying to figure out what they're going to be. This new era of more niche audiences of the fact that people aren't watching TV like they used to. They're still fighting with themselves. To, um, the fact that honestly, if you did a best picture lineup among regular folks, it would be not, it would probably be mostly genre films, blockbuster films that some of their directors seem to have beef against. Uh, I think I think a little bit snobbishly, but it's just the way it is. Um, I I think that the Academy is going to have to have a real conversation with themselves as to why did they present eight categories before the show to edit it in? And the show ended up being longer than last year's show, uh, which didn't even have clips. Um, and what what's it going to have take to reach those new audiences or as some film people I've talked to say, just accept how niche they are and maybe go to streaming and and accept the fact that they're just never going to get those kind of numbers again. Now, I do think the ratings will go up this year because last year's were so bad. And then there's probably a bunch of people who tuned in towards the end because they started hearing about the Will Smith situation. Um, but I, I, I think structurally, there's, there's already change in membership. They've added like 3,000 members. But at the same time, we just saw that there, it's not like a highbrow membership either because we saw a small, nice, warm movie that, quite frankly, in my opinion, probably won't age well um, as a Best Picture winner um, win just because it ended up being the movie that uh, made a lot of people feel better. But at the same time, it is a more diverse academy, and we have we have started to see history. But there is that disconnect with the regular moviegoer at the same time. I think there's gonna be there's gonna be some changes next year, and there's gonna be some changes the other year and the other the other year. I think you're gonna be seeing for the next couple of years an academy that's still trying to figure out who they want to be in the future. And it's gonna lead to a lot of crazy stuff. I think you're going to see a lot of changes in how they produce the show, in how they present the show, and and until they finally find the right balance and audience that they can live on. And um, do not be surprised if in a couple years, either the Academy just says, forget it, we're going to finally uh, accept like superhero movies in here. Or if they just decide we're going to be a Hulu thing, uh, since they, Disney's involved, we're going to be a Hulu thing. And we know that the only people are really going to tune in are film crazy people like myself. 
Yeah, if if all the money's on streaming at some point, the the streamers are going to be like, hey, how come we just don't have the award ceremony and we'll cut out the bias? I see that coming. Luis Mendez, you do excellent work. Ordinary Times, you have your own sub stack, the Mendez Movie Report. Let folks know where they can find you on social media. You also write for Ordinary-Times.com. Uh, you did a lot of write-up for this. You did a great job with it. 21 for 23, man. That's, that's yep. not too shabby. You can go to Vegas and make a little money with that. Uh, let folks know where they can find your writings, your sub stack, and your social media going forward, my friend. Uh, yeah, and, and by the way, I'm already uh, kind of scouting out next year's Oscar contenders. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or Letterboxd if you're a movie fan, under Mendes Movie RPT. Uh, as uh, he uh, Andrew mentioned, MendesMovieReport.substack, uh, where I've just started to write again about movies after, unfortunately, I had to end a podcast that I had going with my brother for six months. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's basically where you can find me, uh, just or just search Mendes Movie Report. Yeah, great guy. He's been with us at Ordinary Times for a couple of years now doing good work good dude make sure you're following him support him on social media and support that sub stack great stuff thank you sir next time somebody slaps somebody at the academy awards we'll have you back okay uh, well hopefully that uh not next year if yeah. if that's what it takes well they've got to have chris rock as the host next year right that's like yeah, locked I mean, in now right i mean i what i can guarantee you right now there will be at least be some sort of joke next year about the situation They've got to have, maybe they can have Ricky Gervais come out and slap Chris Rock again or something like that. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. No problem. Welcome back to Hertel. Let's touch back in on the Mo Brooks, Donald Trump story. We covered that a little while back uh our friend michael siegel who is frequently on this program he is the most appearances of anybody on this program he wrote about an ordinary times and he wrote it better than i can explain it so i'm just going to read it to you uh ordinary-times.com uh this is called mo bitter blues <laughs> clever wordplay there uh the woke thing that trump accused brooks of is at least partially an excuse this is michael siegel writing in ordinary times brooks made those comments in august and while trump very little heresy on the subject of the 2020 election. He didn't revoke his endorsement then. No, he waited until Brooks's polling numbers reached the nadir of a long, slow crash. It began the second he entered the race a year ago. What changed since August was that Mo Brooks's numbers did a pretty good impression of the Russian economy as Michael Duran, a war veteran of Somalia, surged to the head of the pack. In general, Trump's endorsements seem to be carrying a lot less weight this election cycle, which is one of the few signs I've seen that there may be hope for the Republican Party yet. Brooks, facing the end of his senatorial ambitions, has apparently decided that if he's going down, he's going to take Trump with him. In recent interviews, he has claimed that Trump asked him to join a strategy to remove President Biden from the White House and install Trump, a move Brooks said correctly that would be blatant unconstitutional as well as bat crazy crazy to boot. Uh, we're censoring a word there. He now doing interviews touting his loyalty to the Constitution, a loyalty that somehow never showed up prior to January 6th when he was the first congressman to challenge the election results and spoke at the pre-riot rally. And as Alapundit wisely notes, a loyalty that did not preclude him from keeping this little tidbit of a secret until he had nothing left to lose. But now Bro Mo Brooks wants credit, I guess, for doing the bare minimum necessary to not be a traitorous weasel. It's like when your boyfriend tells you some girl he hit on in the singles bar, but he totally didn't get her his number because he just loves you that much. 
Well, it's fun to watch Mo Brooks's fierce sweat emerging as the campaign implodes. It's about the 9,000th reminder that loyalty to Trump is one way. It's expected to be absolute and can be rescinded at any time. We have seen this over and over and over again. You can be the most zealous and committed supporter in the entire magosphere. But if you deviate from complete support, fail to embrace the stolen election narrative, or just start looking like you're going to lose an election, Trump will happily turn on you, stab you in the back, and throw you to the wolves that live under the nearest bus. It is his nature. It is who he is. He has never been loyal to anyone or anything other than himself, and it's baffling to watch Republican after Republican get blindsided by this reality, thinking that they would be the exceptions to the absolute rule. Michael Siegel touching us up on the Mo Brooks v. Donald Trump saga. Mo Brooks, thankfully, will not be the next senator from the great state of Alabama. More heard tell right after this. Hi, welcome back to Hertel. You know, we always try to end the show on a happier note or a lighter note. This is a little bit melancholy, but it shows the strength of the human spirit uh, in Ukraine, in Kharkov. That's the second largest city. The Ukrainian city hard hit from the Washington Post, I'm reading, by Russian invasion. Five musicians brought their instruments underground, seeking to drown out the thunderous explosions with their violins, cello, bass, and other instruments for those taking shelter in the subways. The conflict halted plans for the Kharkov Music Festival, an annual international classical music festival in Ukraine's second largest city. So the organizers said they scrambled to improvise among the war and they descended into the subway station and a business's basement, hoping to find safety from the assaults overhead. Music can unite. Art director Vitaly Alashenko said, it's important now for those who stay in Kharkiv to be united. The original concert would have included a recital by French pianist Lucas Debarge and was to be held in the Grand Hall of the Kharkov Philharmonic. Instead, the concert between explosions, that's in quotes, as it was called on social media, started with the Ukrainian national anthem prompted by audience members putting their hands over their hearts and singing loudly. The program included the music of Bach, Dvorak, and other composers, as well as arrangements of Ukrainian folk songs, hundreds of all ages watched, sometimes holding each other. The program was adapted to highlight the connections between Ukrainian and Western European culture. Alexanov said music teacher and violinist Ola Patashka told the Washington Post on Sunday that performing in the subway sparked a range of emotions after a month of war. She said she was angry and tired, but, quote, at the concert, we felt unity. I, like all Ukrainians, are waiting for victory. Fellow violinist Stanislav Kurikanov told the Post that the concert was unlike any other played. There's no stage excitement that usually happens when performing, but I knew that I was exactly where I should be. Kurenko said the music had a, quote, strong influence on the psycho-emotional state of a person and could, in the conditions of war, help people to cope with fear and stress and inspire faith and optimism. If you look at the pictures, they're actually playing on the landing of a long staircase. You know, it's staircase and then the wider middle and the more staircase. They're standing in the middle of it and sitting, in the case of the cello player, an amazing visual. Sergei Potatuki, uh, director of the Kirikov Music Festival, said that the underground concert showed that amid the darkness, there are eternal values and a future in our country. Our country is melodious, beautiful, intellectual, and will overcome all these difficulties. Uh, I love that quote. Uh, we're seeing the Ukrainians struggle. We're seeing them fight. We're seeing them die. We're seeing them flee their country. There's 10 million refugees now. We're seeing a lot of bad. We're seeing their country being destroyed out from underneath them by the illegal war crimes, genocidal man, man Vladimir Putin's aggression. We're also seeing them sing. And we're seeing them fight and we're seeing them stand up to evil and we're seeing the very best 
of humanity in the Ukrainian people. And God bless them in the effort. We need to do more to support them. And we know that they're going to win because they are in the right. That'll do it for her tell today. Uh, however you're watching or listening, make sure you subscribe. That way you get all the programming we do, brand new episodes every weekday morning. So wherever you and yours are until we do this again tomorrow on Herd Tell, we hope you and yours are well. We hope you are well fed. And we'll talk to you tomorrow for more Herd Tell. All the music on Herd Tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.